G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the Round 14 Review Edition. As always, proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, just five games this weekend. A uh, bit of a flat spot in the middle, perhaps, but the round certainly started and finished with a bang and with two thrillers, one down at Geelong and one in Launceston on Sunday afternoon and plenty of other significant results as well. Heaps to talk about. As I say, very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. Well, shortened agenda, Finey, but still uh, a lot of significance going on over the weekend. Most significantly, typically, the first time I go 100% in the tipping is the first time we had exactly the same tip. So <laughs> what a pain in the backside that is. But not hard to pick the five winners. Harder, though, to anticipate that we would get a win after the siren. And again, not so hard to imagine that that person, if you put the ball in anybody's hands, you'd love it to be Gary Rowan. And I've got to say that the Bombers who... Last week, led in the last quarter against the Tigers, I thought were ultra-professional in keeping their finals hopes alive by dispatching Hawthorne, which isn't easy down in Tassie. I mean, I think we've seen this weekend both Hawthorne and North Melbourne proving that heading down to the Apple Isle to play those two teams, you're just happy to leave with the four points. And I think that would be exactly how Brisbane and Essendon view the round. The other big news from the round is Gold Coast Suns. What are you doing? But I'm sure we'll get to that as we review the games. Well, just quickly on Hawthorne and North Melbourne, uh, as we speak, they are the bottom two teams on the ladder. And the sort of footy either are producing at the moment, if they are the worst two teams in the competition, I reckon it's fair to say the competition's uh, of a pretty decent standard across the board, uh, one or two outliers notwithstanding, one of whom you just mentioned them, and we will have a good discussion about just where Gold Coast is. I'll tell you what else we're going to have a good discussion about. Our wonderful sponsors, Finey, would you care to uh, give us a rundown on the services they have to offer our listeners? Well, let's start with Andrew's Hamburgers, located in Albert Park in the main little shopping district there. It's a beautiful place to be seen and also see. And the best thing to see is between your two hands and Andrew's hamburgers. You know, they talk about evenness in sport. There's not much difference between the top and the bottom. Well, I'll tell you what, in an Andrew's hamburgers, there is no difference between the top and the bottom because the top bun and the bottom bun are both light and ethereal. And in between, the competition is equally as fierce for recognition because right in the guts is the most beautiful beef patty. But don't worry, whether it's a slice of cheese or perfectly melted, I should say, aboard that patty or fresh vegetables, beautifully beating with freshness, as you so often point out, the lettuce, the tomato, or any other accruement you wish to put in there, top to bottom, this is one evenly brilliant burger. It is incredibly competitive between those two buns. I've got the meat patty just ensconced in the top four, but under fierce assault from both the lettuce and tomato, all fresh quality ingredients. And I'll tell you what else. Oh, you... Just on that, Rowan, yes. how, about, how about one of the newer additions? One of the sort of... PWS uh, giants of the burger world, the egg. Haven't they taken to an Andrew's hamburger brilliantly? Well, unfortunately, I can't comment on that because I'm allergic to egg and I don't have them. So uh, those, <laughs> those who do go right ahead, but uh, not for me. Uh, I'll tell you what, when we're talking about freshness, though, you cannot beat the freshness 
of a good home renovation? It's funny. It's a word not normally used with home renovation, but I'll tell you what is a word used with homes, and that is stale. You know, some places just need to be revitalised, re, re-renovated, re-looked at. And who better to do that than our friends at West Point Properties? Now, if freshness, by that you mean the latest appointments, the most modern of modern eyes architecturally, then I understand what you mean by freshness, Rowan. Nick Spartels provides that. The team provides that. West Point Properties, yes, the freshest and best in home builds and renovations. And for the freshest of sporting statistics, you cannot go past Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business and proud partners also of this podcast. They uh, sample 15 different sports across the globe and they sample each event no less than 10,000 times to give you the biggest range of possible and probable outcomes. It's not just numbers, though. There is some great independent journalism on the site. So check it out. All free to use. Statsinsider.com.au. And give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Statsinsider. All right, there's enough thank yous. We've got some big games to talk about. Let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. First game of round 14, and boy, what a cracker it was. Friday night football, travelled down to the Cattery. Got a bit to say about that a bit later on. And we saw an epic between Geelong and the Western Bulldogs, not decided until after the final siren. And that produced a famous five-point win to the home side. Geelong 12-11-83 defeating the unfortunate Western Bulldogs 11-12-78. The goal kickers in this game for the victors, two to Cameron, two to Menegola, two to Rowan, including that magical after-the-siren winner, singles to Close, Hawkins, Dalhouse, Selwood, Radigalia and Parfit for the Western Bulldogs. Three to Bruce. Boy, he had a bit of a purple patch here. Great goal on the run from where the match winner was kicked. Two to Scott and singles to Liberatore, Waitman, Johannesson, Bontempelli, Daniel and McLean. Well, they couldn't be separated all night, these sides. Uh, One team getting in front, then the other. It was dead set level at quarter time. The Cats slightly in front at the long break. Two points in front at the final change. Three goals to two in the last frantic stanza of play. And, of course, uh, we'll see many replays of that final passage of play. A desperate clearing punch of the ball across the ground from Joel Selwood. Spills out to the middle. Uh, Isaac Smith eventually getting possession. Beautiful pass to Gary Rowan. And then a belter of a kick from about 48 metres on a pretty tight angle to the delirium of the home fans. Of course, fewer of them than usual, thanks to COVID, but still almost 7,000 people at GMHBA Stadium to see it. It was a cracker of a contest. What do you make of it, Fidey? It was a great game. It didn't start brilliantly, bro, in the first quarter. It probably told us it was going to be a tight game. Scores were level at quarter time, only a goal apiece. And then the game caught up with the scoreboard, if you know what I mean, in terms of interest, because it was tight the entire game. On TV, they showed that uh, Manhattan of uh, the wavering fortunes of the two teams and it never got beyond basically a straight line. It was such a tight game. And as I said, In the end, the standard met that tightness for a wonderful watch. How about the form of the star players on both teams? Tom Stewart's intercept marking across the back line was breathtaking. And it denied the Bulldogs not only opportunities to score, but when you intercept mark, we know in football turnovers themselves garner scores, and it was a springboard into attack. Of course, on the other side, you had... One of the real stars of the game, living up to the billing in Marcus Bontempelli. 
and he just kept forging forwards. And in tandem with Tom Liberatore, who was brilliant in tight, they made almost every stoppage an advantage for the Bulldogs, especially centre clearances where the 6-6-6 did give them some opportunities up forward. Geelong, they had another star as well. I thought Menegola was fantastic playing a, fan, a really powerful game and also kicking a very telling goal late in the match. So you had top-end talent and then around the ground, plenty of great co-stars. To me, the game was won. You know, this is going to seem unfair to the Cats because they were great. You know who won the game for the Cats? No. The timekeeper. Because that's when the siren went. Really, this seesawing battle deserved no losers. And quite honestly, when the Dogs were a point ahead late in the game, they had quite a bit of control. And ultimately, a couple of a mark and a free kick to Derea, who played a great game and the ball pumped into the forward line. Ultimately, though, a couple of star turns by some star cats, a long clearing kick by Dangerfield and a courageous punch forward by Mr. Always, Joel Selwood swayed the battle and got the ball into their forward 50 and you described very well what happened. Rowan, I'll say this much. Last week you asked me who I thought would play off in this year's grand final. I said Richmond and Melbourne. Now, after Friday night, knowing that the Cats still have Dunkley maybe um, to come back quite soon and Trelaw not long after, and Geelong to have more out of Paddy Dangerfield who is yet to play his best football, if you would have uh, asked me on Friday night when the siren went, who's going to play in the grand final, I couldn't have left those two out. So don't ask me today. Well, some interesting names you've thrown up there. Uh, of course, some ramifications out of this game. We mentioned Joel Selwood, and much as we've sung his praises, a bit fortunate, I think, to have escaped a couple of pretty unsavoury incidents there with just a fine and not a suspension. bit of disquiet from opposition fans about him getting off that. Uh, you mentioned Sam Menegola. He is a real, I think, uh, a very underrated part of that side in terms of his importance. He just gives them so much midfield strength and he can kick goals. And of course, he will become even more important because the uh, news out of this game isn't good for the Cats. Mitch Duncan uh, serious knee injury. He's going to be lucky to return by the time the final starts. So uh, they'll be keeping an anxious wait on his recovery, but it certainly lifts the premium on what Menegola is going to have to contribute. You're quite right too. The doggies with uh, plenty of midfield riches to come back themselves. So um, you almost hope these two play each other again in the finals because it's going to be a real mouthwatering contest. Um the Cats, they just cannot be beaten at home. Like I said, I've got a bit to say about that later. And the Doggies, well, one of those, not much consolation, but one of those games where you don't take away the match points, but you take away plenty of credibility. I think that'll do their standing in terms of prospective premiers. Uh, a lot of good indeed. Interesting sequel to this too in what both sides have got ahead of them next week. They've both got really, really tough games coming up for the Cats. They've got to go up to Brisbane and play the Lions at the Gabba on Thursday evening. So uh, just a six-day turnaround for them. And not a lot of fun for the Bulldogs either. They are scheduled to head to Perth and play West Coast at Optus Stadium in Perth on Sunday afternoon. So uh, a big, a titanic struggle between those two. And uh, they've got to just press on now and get ready for another one to follow. Those should be two great games if this one was any guide. Terrific slice of Friday night football that was. But we had three more games to come on the Saturday. Let's talk about them. Saturday afternoon at Metricon Stadium saw Gold Coast at home up against Port Adelaide. And uh, unfortunately, this had a fairly predictable script. Uh, we've seen Gold Coast deliver some fairly insipid performances at times. And unfortunately, this was another one. Uh, likewise, we've seen Port Adelaide routinely 
beat up on lesser opposition, and that is a record they managed to maintain without any trouble at all. Dominant from the start, the power. Gold Coast having kicked just two goals to halftime. Port already by that stage, the best part of six goals up. They added another four to no goals in the third term. So Gold Coast, on a beautiful day, it should be said, no problem with the conditions at all. Just two goals, four at three-quarter time. And Port cruising in the finish, just a, a goal to them in the final quarter. But still enough to give them a very convincing 50-point victory. The final scores, Port Adelaide, 12 goals, 9, 81 to the Suns. A miserable 4-7-31. The goal kickers for the power, it was 3 to Rosie. He was on fire early. 2 to Dixon, 2 to Georgiades, 2 to Motwop. Singles to Lynette, Amon and Lysette. For the Suns, won't take long to read this, two to King, singles to Bowes and Sexton. Uh, one injury concern out of this for the power, and that, of course, is a knee injury to Robbie Gray and uh, Lockie Jones also injuring a hamstring. But uh, oh, my takeaway out of this one, Finey, is just Gold Coast. Is it ever going to change for them? Because... As long as they continue to get blown away and look scarcely competitive in games like this, I don't care how many talented young players they wheel into the operation. Uh, there's just a, a, a fundamental ruthless streak that this club and this team lacks. And uh, we've been singing the same hymn now for 11 seasons. And when is it going to change? Are they ever going to get there? It's funny you should mention singing from the same hymn book because I want to start by singing. And I'll tell you what the game meant to Port Adelaide. Did you catch their singing of the club song, Compulsory Now As It Is After The Game? Uh, it was don't, don't think I did. It was muttered by the circle and quickly disbanded Did the group of men and headed off to prepare for the trip back to South Australia. Unfortunately, the win against Gold Coast might get the four points and the percentage, and certainly they ticked off on that. But they know that really that doesn't cure their ills, Port Adelaide, of needing to knock off a team above them or the ladder, on the ladder, or a team that at least puts some fight into the battle. Gold Coast kicked the first goal of the game, Ben King. And you're right. They then kicked one goal till three-quarter time as they watched the game being taken off them, they saw themselves being humiliated, I'll say that, in terms of the effort required by an AFL team to be competitive. And I don't know where Stuart Dew goes with this side. They had no winners on the day. Ollie Wines went within one possession of the club record. I thought he was brilliant. But even Ollie Wines, in his natural form, is a powerhouse, ball-winning tyro that gets in, gets under, and wins some really great hard ball. And he turned more outside than inside player in this game and did so brilliantly, don't get me wrong. Connor Rosie, gee, imagine if he puts a full game together. I'll wait for the time that he tips over and really becomes a 100-minute player. He's an absolute silk mover, and he could easily be a six or seven goal proposition against the best of defences. Look, for the Gold Coast Suns, it was hard to find a winner for them on the ground. Uh, Bows competitive. and Look, I'll say this about the Gold Coast Suns. The player that they lost this season that may not have caused them the ripples of Matt Rowell, but ended being more important was Jared Witts. They have no command around the ground whatsoever at stoppages. They have no player to fold back and give some cutout for defence there. To me, apart from Ben King, pretty short around the ground in the marking contest and beautiful weather doesn't suit them, unfortunately. It's The wheels fell off last week against Freo. You pointed that out. But if there was any doubt, to go home, and offer that shabby performance under the sun, the Suns, I don't know how they can expect locals to turn up and watch their football 
and that puts them in a parlous situation, Rowan. This club is irrelevant, and we know on the Gold Coast that is a death knell for sporting clubs. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's funny you mentioned the crowd because that was one of the first things I raced to check afterwards with the details was what was the crowd? Well, it was officially 7,117. That is pretty piss poor for a home ground uh, crowd in this day and age on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Um yeah, I, it is. We, we talk about the difficulties of sporting operations on the Gold Coast and you've got to give them something to warm to. And at the moment, if I was a, a Sun supporter, I'd just be going, well, this is exactly the same as every year since 2014 when they were half a shot of playing finals this late in the season. Um, since then, they have never even looked like it. So, yeah, really, really disappointing afternoon for them and as for the power well I think that's something like 18 times in a row now they have beaten uh, a side beneath them on the ladder and beaten them very convincingly so uh, they have copped a bit of flack for not being able to deal with the teams in their uh, upper echelon of the ladder but they can certainly dispose of teams they should and that's something which is at least going to help give them a shot. Uh, Speaking of down the road next week. What's in store for these two sides? Well, Port, they have a home game against Sydney. So a top eight clash, really good test for them because you can never discount the Swans and uh, they've had a week's break, of course. So they'll be nice and fresh and ready to go. That should be a really intriguing game. That is Saturday evening, 7.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the Suns, Well, if you're looking at the ladder, this is a game they should win. They have got North Melbourne. However, they've got North Melbourne Saturday afternoon at Blundstone Arena, where the Roos will be playing their third game in a row. And quite frankly, their form at the moment is so much better than the Suns, despite those ladder positions, that you couldn't rightly be looking at tipping Gold Coast. A lot of soul-searching to be done by Stuart Dew and the whole Suns operation over the next week or so. That was the Saturday afternoon game. Let's talk about the Twilight game. Well, we mentioned before North Melbourne uh, about to play their third game in a row at uh, their Hobart home of Blundstone Arena. Their second of those three games in a row came on Saturday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon against Brisbane. And again, it was a game in which the Roos didn't take the points, but some decent signs emerging nonetheless. Brisbane had to scrap pretty hard for a win here by 23 points in the finish. The Lions, nine goals, 14, 68, defeating North Melbourne, six goals, nine. 45. The goal kickers for Brisbane, two to Cameron, two to McCarthy, singles to Danaher, Bailey, Hipwood, Neal and Robertson, not Robinson. And for the Roos, three to Nick Larkey, two to Zerha. They have been the constants in terms of goals for the Roos. And just one other goal for them, and that came from Jaden Stevenson. Well, they hung in there really well, finally, didn't they? The Roos, they were just a goal and a bit down at three-quarter time. But the Lions, able to dominate the last quarter in terms of territory and finally on the scoreboard, they added three goals, five in that last quarter while North could only manage a solitary goal. And in the end, victors by the best part of four goals. Uh, I think, again, as I said, some more encouraging signs for the Roos, but... Probably pretty encouraging for Brisbane as well to win a game like that, not in that usual sort of uh, bullet a gate, attacking, free-flowing sort of style in which they win a lot of those games at home, but a real scrap for them. And uh, they found what they had to, to get the job done. And those match points will certainly be important in the wash-up. What do you think about this one? I agree. I reckon Chris Fagan would be very grateful that he could... uh, easily go over to make David Noble after the game and thank him for the hit out. And I know that is a little bit contemptuous of a match of four premiership points that North Melbourne gave them because it was a pretty desperate battle. North Melbourne just held sway at half time. It was very tight right through the first three quarters. 
and Brisbane did ultimately get on top and more power to them because of the manner in which they won the game. They won it by field position, I think, and they were able to get enough of that field position. They certainly missed Zorko. They were ultimately strong in the clinches, but didn't quite have that powerful long kick or even goal-kicking ability that Zorko provides. The captain missed through an indiscretion, and he'll have to make sure that he doesn't do that in and around the finals because they need him. North Melbourne had Ben Cunnington. He's the equal of any midfielder in the competition, isn't he, Rowan? Yeah, I mean, he's just such a good player. And I think Goldstein led McInerney a merry dance. Not as much around the ground, but he was wonderful in the ruck. Had more hit-outs and really did offer them to advantage. Jai Simpkins, a good footballer. And North Melbourne, look, Larky, I'll tell you what, he's not bad. He's a beautiful kick at goal, I'll tell was, you that much. I, I was about to say exactly that. He's a very, very reliable kick for goal. So they've got a spearhead up there. There's love another target to go for. Uh, Zerha is a jack-in-the-box and hard to keep a leash on. But, you know, sometimes it's a little bit Zerha first, everybody else second. So he needs to be more a blended forward, if you know what I mean. But for the Lions, in the end, uh, with uh, enough to go for up forward, enough targets. Charlie Cameron looked like he might have copped a bit of an injury. He was able to come back on the ground and remain a dangerous option. Lincoln McCarthy's always good in the clutches, isn't he? And he's a bit of a target. Eric Hipwood, likewise. None of them had great games. And as I said, they got the points. It was hard fought and exactly the sort of gritty performance that would please Fagan against an opponent that really made them work for their tucker. So well done, North Melbourne, and well done, Brisbane, to be able to escape from somewhere that is pretty foreign for a side that plays in the warmer climes. Not easy to go down and win in Tassie. (laughs) The Gold Coast will learn about that next week for a Queensland team. And well done, both sides, and I think that will serve Brisbane pretty well. Oh, yeah, look, I agree. One thing, uh, I guess, with the Roos, you've got to give them credit for. Their senior players have stood up pretty consistently this year, I reckon. Zeebel, very handy for them. 32 disposals for him. Simpkin, definitely one of that senior core now. He's very reliable. 31 disposals for him. Uh, Aaron Hall has really found some consistent form for them as well. And as you mentioned, Cunnington, well, he is their heart and soul, isn't he? It was notable... Last week when Taron Thomas got uh, ragged old by Shane Mumford that it was little Ben Cunnington who came in to fly the flag. So uh, he's certainly a huge plus for them. I guess they just need more consistent and more prolonged contributions for from some of those younger players. You know, Tom Powell's one. He had his moments in this game. Curtis Taylor, another one. He had his moments. We're getting sort of flashes from them. We probably don't see enough consistently. Even Zerha tends to flash in and in and out a bit, but his best is very good. They're just going to have to get more of those contributions more regularly from the kids. And Brisbane, well, they're just going to have to grind out this period of a season like a lot of teams, get the wins on the board and uh, perhaps build up to something a bit more prolonged when it counts, and uh, that starts for the Lions next week. They have got Geelong at home on Thursday night, 7.20pm at the Gabba. That is going to be a cracker of a game. And the Roos, the third in that trifecta of Hobart games, they play the Suns, 1.45pm Saturday afternoon. And like I said a bit earlier, on current form, you would have to go for the Roos to notch up their second victory of the season. Gee, there'll be a few people in their corner, I reckon. They've absolutely earned it. I think they've uh, been a lot better over the last seven or eight weeks. And uh, I think they, uh, in all likelihood, could be rewarded with a victory as a result. So that was Saturday afternoon, Saturday twilight into Saturday evening. And we had a game going on up in Sydney. Final game on the Saturday card. It was at Giants Stadium between Greater Western Sydney and Carlton. Uh, The Giants, fairly warm favourites. And that's pretty much how it panned out. They won this game. 
by 36 points in the finish. The final scores, 16-6, good accuracy there, 102 points to the Blues, 9 goals, 12, 66 points. The margin, 36 points. And uh, incredibly, the Blues' heaviest defeat of this season, four and nine they are now, but that was by some margin their heaviest defeat. In fact, they've lost eight games this season by a range of between 16 and 28 points. So uh, that, on those terms, constitutes a belting. And look, in terms of general play, some would argue it was a belting because, once again, Carlton didn't turn up for the start got jumped by the Giants, and that was a lead that was comfortably maintained the rest of the evening. The goal kickers, five to Jeremy Finlayson. He played a terrific game for the winners. Four to Toby Green. What a player he is. Two to Himmelberg. Singles to Lloyd, Cumming, Briggs, Kelly, and Hopper. And for the Blues, three to Harry Mackay. Battled on pretty courageously. Two to Owies. And singles to Fogarty, DeConing, Pittenet, and Fisher. Pretty grim stuff for Carlton, though, Finey. They never really looked likely to win, even getting within, what, a couple of goals at one stage, I think late in the third term. But you just felt they're not going to get there. It's a bit of a token effort. And uh, that's pretty much how it ended up. The Carlton disquiet and angst continues. They really lack some intensity. You, you couldn't help but think in this game. And that was certainly reflective of a start. I don't know how many games they've lost this year because they've been half asleep for the first 30 minutes of play. But this was another one of them. And uh, gradually worked their way into proceedings. But the damage had been done. The Giants, who were clearly in finals contention, needed the win. And uh, they got it with a pretty impressive performance by them. Do they look like genuine finals material to you? Well, they do when Toby Green's going for the ball or having a shot at goal. So there were some great highlights in this game. Look, Carlton played for seven minutes. They kicked four goals, bang, 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 bang. Did you think they were going to win? Well, you didn't have to wait long. That forward line of gold of GWS has a couple of bad boys and Toby Green's only one of them. Because Finlayson had a great game and he quickly replied and he's had his moments with uh, tribunals and being reported and Max Review Officer. Of course, we have to congratulate Toby Green. He's been reported for the 20th time in his career and uh, will be found guilty for the 20th time in his career. So more power to you, Toby. You seem to be very keen on sort of... uh, being the wrong side of the law on the football field, at least, he's certainly grown up off it. That forward line is dangerous. And look, they had their problems, GWS. They had Hill that turned an ankle and got could barely move. And Josh Kelly also turned an ankle and was nowhere near the influence that he was the week before. He played on and, again, got... Got the ball, but just wasn't able to impose himself on the match like he did in that draw against North Melbourne. For that short period, Carlton did have Harry Mackay looking super dangerous, but it was short-lived. And GWS quickly got back into their stride. Can they make the finals? I'll tell you what, Phil Davis, he's more than just talismanic. He, he is a good defender and he fills the hole ably. Buckley was undersized. That's Jack Buckley when placed on Mackay. So they need that height down in the back line. And Phil Davis offers them a good option. Cumming kicked his first goal in league football. That was a highlight. But the highlight of the game, we love a barrel, was the kick after the first siren at quarter time that allowed Toby Green a chance for a memorable... Oh, sorry, it was, I think it was at halftime, actually. A memorable shot at goal. And as I said, we love a barrel. And it went flying through from, I think they measured it at 64.7 metres, Rowan. That's a nice long kick, isn't it? It was more of it. Yeah, no, more, it, was a, 
It was a ripper. We don't see enough of them. Funnily enough, late last night, I was watching, I uh, don't know why, but I was watching the 71 grand final. And the percentage of goals kicked in that with torpedoes in the wet, mind you, uh, was staggering when you see yep. how rarely it's used today. So yep. it was a monster kick. Uh, just a quick one on Finlayson, because he does this. He will produce these games where he's just absolutely dominant. I was just having a look at his uh, record. That's the 13th time he has kicked uh, three goals or more in a game. He, he can have those games where he's invisible as well. But when he's on, he's a really, really handy key forward for him, isn't he? Yeah, he covers a lot of ground. He's a long kick, so he doesn't mind getting out to the 50-metre mark. He also works very close to goals. He's a good mark. He's a, quite a story. In a team that we think is full of top 10 picks and priority selections, he was a, a, a late selection, a late bloomer. And with Cameron no longer at the club, Patton having left before him, there is a position available for a number one key forward. And he holds down that position. And as we saw against Carlton, he can do it pretty ably. He is, oh, what would you describe him? He's I, I, he's sort of deceptively, to me, they used to describe Tom Kite as sneaky long in the world of golf for how long he hit it. To me, he's sneaky tall in the contested mark. Don't Sometimes it surprises me exactly, you know, how high he can reach and, and he's got long arms, you know, might be related. Who was that Essendon player with long arms? Was it Copping? Stephen Copping, yep. Yeah, I don't know. He just seems to me to be sneaky capable in the marking contest and you've got to keep an eye on him. He's not a bad key forward at all. Underrated, I'd say. Yep, certainly a beautiful kick. I'll tell you, just a final word from me, Carlton, they've got some tough selection decisions to make coming up, I think. Uh, you know, I know who you're going to say. Sam Doherty? Yeah, he is really, really struggling. Fumbly, indecisive. Uh, he just he hasn't been the same player since injury, serious injury, unfortunately. And uh, you know, if Carlton are fair income about preparing for the future, as they have to be now, because finals obviously off the agenda. I think they've got to start looking at what they do with a player like that. Yeah, no, it's a fair it's a fair call, Rowan. They've and we've we've seen that they've been willing to. Um, put a line, not a line through, but they've been willing to drop Mark Murphy. So I would suggest that Doherty would be the next cab off the rank in terms of senior players. If you're not performing, you're not going to get a game. I do just want to mention one other giant quickly. Toby Green's great. The other T Green is going to be great and was pretty good last night. Tom Green, he's a big boy for a midfielder and he's covering much more of the ground as he gets more kilometres into his AFL legs and I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, he was. I saw uh, former former Blue and former Giant Dylan Buckley singing Tom Green's praises on social media, actually, and uh, it was a good opportunity to jest whether they were, in fact, competing last night for the Dylan Buckley Cup, but uh, certainly <laughs> a, uh, a big fan of Tom Green and he's got a few big fans among the AFL fraternity. He's going to be a long-term star next week. Uh, well, the Blues, what we said, they may have some tough selection decisions. They have the last game on the card for round 15. That is against Adelaide, scheduled for Marvel Stadium, 4.40pm. Of course, we say scheduled because we don't know exactly what's happening with the pandemic situation. Hopefully, we can all head along to the footy in Victoria again. But that's where that game is scheduled for the time being. As for the Giants, well, they've got a home game, 1.10pm, also on Sunday, against Hawthorne. So, be interesting to see how they go in that one. That was it for Saturday football. Just the one game on Sunday with only a five-game round. But, uh, well, it was a clash of old and bitter rivals. Let's have a talk about it. Well, the final game of round 14, originally scheduled for the MCG, transferred to Launceston, which probably I think it's safe to say gave the home side Hawthorne a bit more of an advantage. But in the end, didn't count for, well, certainly didn't count for a victory because it was their opposition, Essendon, that ended up winning not after 
a very, very hard-fought tussle. Though. Really entertaining game. Skills not always outstanding, but these two teams never far apart and a really exciting finish. The Bombers, in the end, just getting over the line by 13 points. The final scores, Essendon, 13 goals, 8, 86, defeating Hawthorne, 10, 13, 73. The goal kickers, four goals to Jake Stringer, and we'll talk about him in a minute. What a game he played for the Bombers. Two goals to Anthony McDonald, Tippenwoody. Two goals to Harrison Jones. Singles to Cale, Hind, Langford, Guelphie, and Parrish, who bobbed up with the sealer, a little dribbler in the goal square. For the Hawks, three to Luke Bruce, three to Jacob Kaczynski, and singles to Mitchell, Wingard, Shields, and more. Well, uh, Hawthorne played a brilliant defensive game today. They really made it difficult for Essendon to get their, uh, well, not famed, but uh, their very encouraging run and link-up game going. And it was really hard to score. The Bombers managed to do uh, kick three goals in that first quarter to the Hawks' solitary goal. Hawthorne had the better of the second term, though. 4-7 to 5-3 at halftime. Four goals each in the third quarter. Essendon just three points to the good at the last change. And then goal for goal in the last quarter. Exciting. Liam Shields uh, reduced the gap to, in fact, put Hawthorne in front. That goal was answered in turn by one from Stringer. Another goal to Jones. Jones missed a chance to blow the gap out to 16 points. Guelphy made it 13 points to the Bombers with about 10 minutes to go. But back came the Hawks, not for the first time in this game. Uh, a goal from a free kick to Dylan Moore reduced the gap to just on a goal. And then Stringer brought home the bacon for the Bombers, uh, winning a holding the ball free kick and managing to score from that. And Darcy Parrish put the icing on the cake. It was a really, really gripping game of footy, finding, which not all games in Launceston are. Uh, I know I emotionally had a bit of an investment in this, but I would have thought as a neutral, it was pretty entertaining to watch. Great game. It was a great game. Now, I'm going to ask you to sort of uh, really test your memory banks here. Do you remember what I said about Jake Stringer four or five weeks ago? Uh, I don't, I'm afraid. Sorry. Even you scoffed at it. I said that there was only one player in the competition that was on a par to Dustin Martin when right. And, yeah, I can understand most people sort of, especially at the time, given that Jake, I think, had maybe even just um, sort of looked like he was injured again. But he is very, to me, very, very similar to Dustin Martin. He is a great midfielder who is equally adept as a forward. Now, we see more of Stringer probably as a forward than we do Dustin Martin as a midfielder. But I reckon, give just uh, give them, um, sorry, Jake Stringer, the, I, I form, there yeah, would that be one player, Justin Martin? Um, I reckon you give him full 22 game home and away season with a full run up, big preseason. And there is nothing to separate those two. He is an absolute star. And to me, exactly like many games that Richmond have won, including finals, those two teams were even bar the brilliance of Jake Stringer. Now, that ceiling goal, the tackle, fantastic. How important was that instinctive step, snap just before half time that at least gave the Bombers a little bit of momentum going into the half because Hawthorne had absolutely taken the game away from them. After a dominant first quarter and a bit, it was Hawthorne who owned the latter part of the second quarter. Step up, Jake Stringer. Look, this is an asset that Essendon has. Let's be honest, their midfield is without two key ball winners in McGrath and Shield. And as good as Parrish has been and certainly getting help from others, they need that X factor. And the fact that he can go in the middle as well as playing up forward makes him doubly valuable. Boy, he is super. 
Well, that uh, that goal he kicked at the start of the last quarter, that was Dustin Martin, wasn't it? Just the strength to hold off the uh, Hawthorne player with one hand and then snap off balance and the power in the kick to get it, just squeeze it through the goals. Fantastic goal that was. You mentioned his clearance work. Uh, a big reason Essendon really dominated the clearance today, particularly centre bounce clearances, which ended up winning 15-9. Stringer, his stats today, finished up with six clearances. He had 10 inside 50s, 29 disposals, which is a personal best, and the four goals. I thought it was one of the better and more, um, I guess, significant individual games of the entire season. Fantastic effort by him. A few other honourable mentions, I think, deserve to to be given. Sam Draper in his first game back was terrific in the ruck up against the twin-pronged attack of Segler and McAvoy. And Nick Hines' dash off halfback, fantastic goal he kicked in that third quarter. Um, And his run and carry, when it was hard to generate it, was really important. Let's uh, not just keep it to Essendon, though, because Hawthorne, it was a great coaching performance again by Clarkson. When he sets his players' minds to a certain way of playing, the way that they carry out those instructions to the letter is really impressive. And that's all down to the powers of persuasion of the coach. They had two good goal-kicking forwards in Bruce and Kaczynski. Um, I thought Jarman Impey was terrific for them coming off half-back. Uh, Jaff, uh, really, really impressive in that first half, particularly just kept intercepting. And that was Essendon's problem. They just kept uh, kicking the ball to Hawthorne inside 50. Um, who else? You had Wingard bob up with some important touches. Omira got better the longer it went. I'd, so, I'd like to add. I'd like to add Daniel Howell to that list. Yep, yep. Look, I mean, they are not without hope for the future, are they? Um, their senior players are delivering pretty consistently. Oh and, yeah, and they are very, very well coached, and it's worth several goals a game to them. So certainly, all not lost for the Hawks in terms of their future. I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I mean, just that list. You add Dale Scrimshaw, Rowan. Yeah, and actually, and I love. I love the, the size of Day and Scrimshaw as players. Aren't they beautifully mobile, really big boys? So it gives you a lot of a lot of opportunity in the coach's box to place players of good ability right around the ground. Yes, I agree with you. I think, again, um, those green shoots that coaches talk about are so evident, especially... And you get a feeling now, don't you? Just looking at him in the box, that Alistair Clarkson is invested long-term with Hawthorne. Yeah, I oh, certainly is. And uh, got to say, too, if we were doing our old form ladder at the moment, Hawthorne would be a fair bit higher than um, 17th spot on the ladder because uh, last two weeks in particular, I think they've been really good. What's ahead for both of these teams? Well, big tests for both. For the Bombers... They're up against uh, top of the table, Melbourne, no less. That game scheduled for the MCG on Saturday evening, 7.25. That will be a corker. And as for the Hawks, they go to take on the Giants at Giants Stadium Sunday afternoon, 1.10pm. A really good test for them. But if they bring the sort of commitment and discipline they had today, they will be some sort of chance. That is round 14 wrapped up. That leaves us with one bit of this show left, Finey. And it's an old favourite. The Rant Off. On Footyology. The Rant Off. Well, I've got a good one this week, Finey. Uh, I know this is a subject you've talked about, the almost unfair advantage that a certain time has on its own digs. And uh, after the events of a certain game this round, uh, I couldn't help but think along similar lines. So uh, I've pinned a, uh, a bit of a, a few thoughts about it and uh, I'm ready to unleash them. So would you please count me in? I will certainly do that. I'm going to send you down the highway on one, two and three. I'm pissed off with Cadinia Park, Finey. As if Geelong hasn't been good enough these past 15 years or so without the biggest home ground advantage footballers ever seen. Seriously, it's like the Cats start every game down there with five goals on the board before the opposition has scored. Actually, forget it's like. That's exactly what usually happens. It didn't to the Western Bulldogs on Friday night, of course. They started better, led for much of the game, was still in front when the siren went, and yep, still lost. 
I've never felt as certain about an impending result as when Gary Rowan lined up that kick after the bell on Friday. Even before that, when Joel Selwood smashed the ball off the ground in hope and it went straight to a teammate, I thought, here we go. Of course, Isaac Smith, one of the best users of the footy going around, was going to get the ball in his hands. And of course, it was going to end up with Rowan marking it, one of the best handful of kicks for goal in the business. But the Cattery has some strange, almost supernatural powers, like the Bermuda Triangle, except this one is bounded by the Eastern Beach Pier, Waterworld at Nor Lane, and the famous Ripper Roast Shop across the road in La Trobe Terrace. Speaking about shapes, that's one of the biggest advantages. It's so narrow, this ground, the opposition keeps kicking the ball out in the full while the Cats continue to go straight down the guts. It's more like a soccer ground. I don't know why when teams are announced for a game there, they don't just name a goalkeeper, striker and a sweeper instead of a back pocket and half-forward flank. Either way, Cadinia Park has a force field not of this earth. I used to feel its famous gravitational pull myself when I went down there to cover Geelong games. See, they lull you into a false sense of security, then pounce. Come to our homely little abode, they say. Grab a beautiful hot roast beef roll with gravy on your way in. Be lulled into thinking you're being looked after by the homemade pies and the lashings of scones, jam and whipped cream in the media area. Smile patronisingly at the little old ladies in the crowd with their blankets, wicker baskets full of treats, lovingly prepared at home and thermoses full of piping hot coffee. Allow yourself to think for a while that your team is actually going to jag a rare win. And yet still, even after you've led with the funny sounding siren ringing in your ears, feel the bitter sting of defeat. Ponder this statistic for a moment, Finey. Since that day back in 2007, when the Cats took out decades of frustration and smashed a hapless Richmond by 157 points at Docklands to kickstart a gold mirror that's still bloody going, Geelong has played 107 games at its home ground. Do you know how many it's lost? 11. Just 11 of 107 games. That's a strike rate of a ridiculous 89.7%. No wonder most teams have given up the points before they even run out in the ground. Earlier this season, West Coast didn't even bother to run out in the ground. They just sent out 22 witches hats instead and let the Cats do a two-hour training drill around them to the delight of the rapturous home fans. And the final indignity for any away team down there, it's having to trudge off the ground while Geelong yet again starts performing opera. Yeah, that's right. That we are Geelong thing comes from the bullfighting ode Toreador out of Bizet's Carmen. Jeez, talk about grandiose. And can't you just see the cat fans now pondering that bit of information, puzzled, and asking why on earth an opera was written about fabulous Phil? And why didn't Bizet do one about Gaza as well? I'll tell you, Finey, it wouldn't have mattered if Bizet had been forced to write an opera about Larry Donahue Scratch and Neil, or even Spiro Malakellis instead. Just console yourself away, fans. You're going to be hearing it every bloody time. <laughs> That's a great piece. Because you know I stand alongside you arm in arm when it comes to the difficulties of going down to Cadenia Park. Maybe they should change their club song to um, from BZ to Machine Gun Fellatio and say you're going down, down, down at Pussytown. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd look for any opportunity to introduce that song again. It is an amazing record, isn't it? It's 11 losses from 107 games. Yeah, yeah. That, that I is... mean, I, I, I just used to hate going there. And the St Kilda has got to go there again this year. It is just terrible. I, I used to go insane. You know what used to drive me insane down at Cadinia Park, Rowan? What? Oh, the, uh, I know what yep. you're going to say. The advertising sign for haircuts. Yeah, yeah, there was just a sign that you could see from the outer and all it said was half-price haircuts. Not an address, not a phone number, just half-price haircuts. <laughs> it's all oh, an in-joke for them, isn't it? Well, it's a small town. Everyone knew where to go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, are you ready to go? I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. Where was the football this weekend? Five games? What is it, 1908? I certainly didn't see Richmond or university going around. So I checked the calendar. No, it's 2021. Now I know 
in recent years gone past, people enjoyed bi weekends or partial bi weekends as an opportunity to reconnect with the family. Well, let me tell you, in Melbourne, having gone through four lockdowns, I don't need to reconnect with my family. I need an oper I need an operation and a surgeon, preferably who's had experience separating conjoined twins. I live in a house with a wife and four kids. I don't need more time with them. What I need on the weekend is some some substantial football to get my teeth into. All right, Friday night was great. But Saturday served up, well, three games that didn't satiate me whatsoever. People say, why don't you give alternative sports an opportunity? I did. I watched Gold Coast versus Port Adelaide. Some primitive form of football played by one team beating up on another. I didn't particularly enjoy it. Then a trip down to Tasmania via the television to watch a dour battle, not bad, between North Melbourne and Brisbane, and then a predictable beat-up of Carlton by GWS. Then on Sunday, it was time to draw a line in the sand. That's right, the Bombers and the Hawks. Now, that might be enough for a Bomber or a Hawks fan, one game on a Sunday, but not for this little black duck. It didn't do the job whatsoever. And unlike Rowan, I can't just go to YouTube and immerse myself in a series of sandful grand finals going back to the dawn of man. I actually need to see something that I haven't seen before. And in football, that means two or three games on a Sunday and enough to think about, talk about, write about, scream about, rant about to do me justice. Five games on a weekend might have been okay prior to World War I, but let me tell you, I need to get in the trenches with a lot more than was offered this weekend, and I'm looking forward to next weekend. Even if my Saints are going to start on Thursday, they started me up on Friday night with a nice old thrashing at the hands of the Tigers. Bring it on. Fill me up with football because this family is getting on my nerves. Uh, very good. Uh, yeah, we've come to expect a lot, haven't we? I was just thinking as you were talking about that, we for so long we lived on six games a weekend and then for a while it was five on a Saturday and one every fortnight up in Sydney on the, uh, on the Sunday. And half of those games... Uh, weren't even shown on the replay. You just have to rely on the one camera slow motion footage on the World of Sport wrap up the following day. Those of our vintage understand that finally, but these younger generations, they're spoiled. And I guess in our case, we've come to demand it ourselves. So it's certainly going to be good to go back to the uh, full menu next week. I, I concur entirely. It was pretty tough viewing at times yesterday as well. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry to include you, but yeah, I I can't watch Sandful Grand Finals on my phone. Oh, well, I don't watch them on my phone, mate. I watch them on my big monitor in glorious yeah, that's colour. Good. And that uh, is good. incidentally, I did mention the seventy-one Grand Final. I'm not doing this to torture you again, but uh, our man Riley, I think it's Riley eighty-eight on YouTube, or um, has uh, put in super high definition a whole host of old grand finals as highlights packages. So the whole game, basically, the, the big moments covered, they go for about half an hour each. And I watched 71 uh, last night. And what I'd forgotten just quickly, we talk about St Kilda leading that game by 20 points at three-quarter time. They actually got 28 points up late in the third quarter. And there's a pivotal moment where um, oh, someone goes to handball to Alan Davis to run into an open goal and he slips over. And Hawthorne clear the ball, uh, got a late goal. And um, boy, the swings and roundabouts. Anyway, I don't want to rub it in, but it was interesting viewing. That is the end of our round 14 review. Thanks to your company. We are, as always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And uh, we have some other wonderful sponsors too, Finey. Give them a plug. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the very best burgers in town. That's Andrew's Hamburgers. Andrew with an A, and it's A-plus for an Andrew's Hamburger. And I can give that same mark A-plus for a rebuild 
and I'm talking about West Point Properties, Nick Spark tells them the team in the southeastern Melbourne, brand new houses, rebuilding old edifices, a major renovation. It's all in their bailiwick. Well, the best sports data analysts in the caper don't need a major renovation because their website is full of statistical goodness. And I speak of our, another footyology partner, Stats Insider. They sample a range of more than 15 sports across the globe, sampling an event 10,000 times to bring you the best range of possible outcomes and some great independent journalism well on that site. And I'll be penning a column for them uh, tomorrow, Monday, as a matter of fact, you can read that there at statsinsider.com.au. All free to use. Check it out. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. We thank all our wonderful supporters. Most importantly, you people listening to this, you can support us at the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or at footyology.com.au. The Patreon link's there for 7 Australian dollars per month, you can become an official footyology patron. Join the growing throng of footyology supporters. Thanks to your company, as always. Uh, we'll see you again middle of next week. Bye-bye.